Hey everybody, welcome to the Creative Processing Podcast. My name is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. This is the very first episode, the very first episode of this podcast. I'm really, really excited. Thanks for listening. Um, The idea behind this show is to base every episode around one central question about the creative process. And uh, for that question to come from you all out there on the internet, uh, and then I'll find a guest that I think is really suited to answer that question this week, this first episode, uh, my guest is going to be Mr. Ryan Johnson. He is a writer, director, filmmaker extraordinaire. I was in his very first movie, Brick. Uh, he then made The Brothers Bloom, Looper, The Last Jedi. He's an extraordinary thinker, conversationalist, artist, and human being. He's just one of my favorite guys, dear friend of mine. And um, we had a great conversation about this question. The question came from Alexandra Kalmanovsky from Louisville, Kentucky, and this is her question. How do you get inspired by other people's creations and create something unique that is completely your own without taking too much from the inspiration? So here we have a question about originality. Is there even such a thing as originality? Where does genre come into it? Uh, what happens, of course, when you're making <laughs> episode eight of a nine-episode series of Star Wars, um, and you're not the originator, but you're bringing your own original spin to something? Um, these are all things that we get into. Uh, it was uh, a delightful conversation with Ryan, and I'm excited for you to hear it. So, ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Johnson. This is the very first episode. Thank you for being here, Mr. Ryan Johnson. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, man. Um, I'm glad to be doing this with you. Yeah. Okay, so um, each episode centered around a question, like yeah. I said, uh, and I'm going to read you the question. Mm-hmm. Is it math? <laughs> it's not <laughs> okay. math. Yeah. Uh, it comes from Alexandra Kalmanovsky. Mm-hmm. She's from Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, she asks, how do you get inspired by other people's creations? and create something unique that is completely your own without taking too much from the inspiration? That is, as the saying goes, a very good question. <laughs> I thought it would be a good question It's a for really you good question, yeah. Um, yeah, it's fine. I mean, the first thing that makes me think of is, like, recently I found, like, a box of VHS tapes, that, and I, like, hooked up a VC, like an old VCR to my computer just to like to my iMac and it just started digitizing a bunch of old stuff and stuff you had recorded stuff I had movies I had made in high school uh-huh. and um, they're all just uh, copying other movies they're all just oh let's do a James Bond movie oh let's do a yeah. yeah you mean copying line for line a particular no, movie no or no no like in doing, the style of yeah doing parodies like in the style of I think initially the first stuff that you're that you're doing or at least from my experience tends to be imitation yeah um even if it's not literally doing that doing like a parody or something you're taking stuff that you've seen in other movies and uh imitating it Mm -hmm. and um i know there's always the kind of the pressure to like find your own voice and to be unique and to da 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 i feel like that imitation process is a really important part of 
finding your voice. I feel like that's the crawling, that's the necessary like first step. Do you and, remember any of those imitation films that you made oh, in film yeah. school in particular? Well, I mean, in film school, it was more about, it was less about, uh, you know, let's do a James Bond thing, let's do that thing. It was more about doing shots from, oh, we can do this shot from eight and a half. It didn't, <laughs> look, it didn't look anything like the shot of man half, but we're like, oh. And, or, uh, you know, or I was really into like Sam Raimi in college. And so he was doing a lot of backwards stuff. And the, the zombie kind of, movies? Uh, the Like the Evil Dead movies. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Or, you know, Coen Brothers stuff. Like I was really into like Barton Fink. And so uh-huh. trying to imitate shots from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I, I think that that's part of the process of finding your own voice when you're starting out. I guess this is kind of a different answer to a little different than what the question is asking. But we'll... We'll get to it, but that, that's the first thing it made me think of. Was, yeah. You know. Then, so would you, if you were wanting to do a shot like that, how would you fit it into the context of what else you were doing? Right. Um, well, I mean, to be honest, like the stuff I was doing, even, even the content of it was largely derivative, mm-hmm. you know, at that stage, looking back on it now. And that sounds like I'm kind of like, I don't know, poo-pooing it or dissing it or whatever. I'm, I, I don't mean to like it. it I, again, I feel like that's what you have to do when you're starting out. Did it feel like that at the time? Did you feel no. like, what did it feel like at the at time? At the time, it felt like playing. That's the thing. It felt right. like exploring and playing and doing stuff. But this is like what should still drive the creative process now, I think, is yeah. that feeling of when you pick up a camera when you were in high school and, uh, oh, I wonder what this will look like or I wonder, oh, can I imitate that? Can, can I, I do, do that? What will it feel like for me to try it? That's exactly it. Yeah, 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 precisely. And that thrill of what if we shoot this at four frames a second uh-huh. backwards and go the length of the street mm-hmm. and then you get the film back and you throw it up and you're like, oh my God, that looks terrible or that looks <laughs> awesome. You know, but uh, so anyway, but it's it's that that pleasure of of playing. I guess. The pleasure of doing it as opposed to the end result. Yeah, yeah. Although you're, you know, you're still trying to get make a number, but you're not. Fo- it's, uh, I don't know. I, gu- I guess what this totals up to is the question of: Are you imitating or are you being original? Mm-hmm. At least I think when you're first like developing your voice is a question you should largely ignore. I think. Yeah. I think there's real value in um, imitation, especially when you're kind of developing your your eye or your style or whatever you want to call it. Okay, so you say early on in life or whatever that it's worth ignoring that question. When does it become time to start paying attention to that question? I mean, it's probably time for me to start about now. (laughs) 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 Uh, No, but the thing is, I mean, to, to, you know, I mean, Brick, you know, the first movie that, that, uh, that we made together. Yes. Yeah. uh, You know, that was, that was also, it was, I think the transition then is into what you kind of hinted at before, which is using the uh, imitation's the wrong word. It's it's using kind of the thrill of doing doing your version of something you love, right? In order to communicate something that is unique to you or right. on your heart, and that's the eventual goal. I think. You know? I remember the the screenplay of Brick. And it ended up on the poster, if I'm not mistaken. But even the screenplay said, a detective movie yeah. by Ryan Johnson. Right, 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 right. And I remember talking with you about genre, which mm. was part of why I thought 
it'd be fun to answer this question with yeah. you is because we had a lot of conversations about the value of genre. Right. And would you, I mean, there's Brick was called a detective movie. Mm-hmm. Your second movie, The Brothers Bloom, did you call that a con, a con man, man movie? movie? Yeah. Looper, would you, would you call that fiction story. a science fiction story? Yeah. And then there was Star Wars, which is... <laughs> Star Wars. A Star Wars movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then this, I just made this movie Knives Out, which is a, a whodunit. And right. I put that on the title page, too. Yeah. You did. So why do you put the name of a genre like that on the cover of your screenplay? I, don't, I mean, I, I feel like, uh, for me, I really, I mean, I, I don't know, I, I'm not saying anything incredibly original here in keeping with the theme of the conversation, <laughs> but... Uh, no, I I love um, thinking in terms of genre. For me, it gives a you know it's uh, it's that you know freedom is the enemy of art type thing. It gives a constraining uh, box in which to work to put the stuff that you want to get in, get in. There. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it gives you a chessboard to play on. It gives you boxes to. Phil, and it gives you expectations on, on the part of the audience. The instant you read that on the front, everyone has an idea of what a detective movie is or what mm-hmm. a con man movie is, and instantly your brain engages and you're coming into it with a certain amount of expectation. Right. And the way that the film fulfills those expectations or plays with them or goes yeah. away, you know, or subverts them, or subverts them, or but but overall the way that it uses. That and the ultimate goal is to satisfy those expectations in a right. way that you didn't, you know, expect. Right. Give the audience what they want in a way they weren't expecting. Yeah. We just we just make that up. No, <laughs> no but that's like um, <laughs> yeah. um, William Corman or uh, what? Uh, uh, no, Goldman. 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 Yeah. yeah. That's the goal. That's the goal. Yeah. Right. Is to. Um, create something that's satisfying but surprising I read it it reminds me of what you were saying of a constraining box I was actually reading this is about uh, this is in like a child development book I'm a a dad now so I've read and and, uh, they did a study with rats Uh where (laughs) you know they're mammals they're mammals and they would uh, they compared these two scenarios in one scenario the rats don't have any walls around them at all they're Mm -hmm. in this wide open space yeah and in the other scenario the rats have these boundaries these walls around you know that they can't cross and in the wide open space the rats cluster together much tighter and they don't venture out from the center of the cluster of rats. They stay much tighter together. Right. Whereas when they're within the walls, right. they branch out much farther. Even though there right. are walls there, they're actually branching out more with the walls than without the walls. Huh. I, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It gives you the freedom to kind of reach out a little further. At least it does for me, I guess, you know. Yeah, it reminds me of what you're talking about with the genre. If yeah. the genre is those walls, yeah. that kind of gives you the freedom to play. Right. Whereas if you don't have that structure to base your story on, then you, you're maybe a little more, uh, I don't know, you don't know where to go. Well, I, I, for me at least. But then there's plenty of examples of the contrary. I know you're a big Godard fan, and you, you could argue yeah. that 
I don't know, maybe someone who knows Godard's work better than I do would argue that, yes, he is working in this box, actually, or this or that. But He definitely plays with genres, for sure. Like, like Breathless is sort of a noir. Right. It's a weird, fucked up noir. And A Woman is a Woman is like a weird, fucked up romantic comedy. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kubrick was one that you talked about. Are all of the Kubrick films in genres? I think, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Mm Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, if you if you look at like and very distinct genres, you have the historic kind of epic romance of, of Barry Lyndon. You've got the um, dystopian sci-fi of A Clockwork Orange. You've mm-hmm. got the yeah. You've got even down to kind of like the uh, I know what you define eyes wide shut is, but kind of like a, a psychosexual. Yeah, sort of. Um, That's a harder one to put in a genre, but it? It is, and it's though, his last one. Yeah, but it is a genre. It's something that I feel like in my mind I can kind of define. What other movies like, are in the Eyes Wide Shut genre? Uh, I mean, the, well, the, nothing specific. I, well, I mean, the thing is, I would put it in the same box as um, uh, it's like a it's it, it's like a dream movie. Like uh, uh, it's a very different film, but like Jacob's Ladder, you know, it's it's oh. to me, it's in that realm. But that's also probably part of why what I just my specific lens on Eyes Wide Shut and why I really appreciate that movie. Uh-huh. You know? um, it's it's kind of this very deceptively straightforward, but ultimately very subjective, surreal interior journey. Yeah. To say the most pretentious phrase in the <laughs> in the universe. So let's talk about Brick more specifically. That's yeah. something you and I can both speak to. Yeah. If if you folks out there haven't seen Brick, highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson's first film uh, and one of my favorite things I've ever had a chance to act in. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's very, like we said, it's a detective movie. I remember you saying that a lot of the inspiration came from you reading detective novels. And really specifically Dashiell Hammett. So I, 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 but actually it started before that, like I mentioned, I was really into the Coen brothers. So their movie Miller's Crossing is something that I watched over and over and had memorized and just loved Mm -hmm. the rhythms of that language. And I read an interview where they said they were influenced by Hammett for that. Okay. And that's what led me to him. And when I read... I think I read like the Continental Op short story collection, but then went through and read. He only wrote like, I forget, like four or five books, I think. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't have a huge library. But remember, you you gave me, I think, his collection of all of his books in one hardcover. Yeah. Oh, really? That's the worst way to give somebody a big, (laughs) heavy (laughs) reader. I I, I think when I actually read it, I read it in a separate copy. But that one's beautiful on the shelf. Yeah. 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 It looks good on the shelf. Uh, So, no, it's, 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 uh, in Hammett, it, it was almost like because I guess most of my exposure to detective fiction had been through film noir, yeah, and I had a really sp- specific idea of what it was because of that. And um, I liked film noir, but I wasn't like you know, uh, I don't know, I had no like real drive to make a film noir. Mm-hmm. But then when I read the Hammett, there was something about. Um, I don't know. There's something about it that really, really got me. So maybe that's the crux of what we're talking about, yeah. of where the originality comes from, yeah. the difference between imitating or sort of just aping a genre mm. versus bringing your own thing to it. It's like, what was that that made you go, yeah. I have something that I want to do with this? I mean, I guess part of it was... Um Part of it was the way that he deals with masculinity, I guess, and the way that he deals with um, 
violence. There uh-huh. was something about it that was simultaneously an element of wish fulfillment combined with self-awareness of how fucked up it was. So that made it both like incredi- incredibly repulsive and attractive at the same time. You mm-hmm. know, um, he's also just an incredibly smart writer and really, you know, right. Um, but what was it like? So for you yourself. So the connection and that is why the high school connection for me. Right. Very much. It just like spiked directly into into that. So if you haven't seen Brick, it's a detective movie, but it's set in high school. Right. Which is one could argue an original idea. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Originalish. There's a combination of two unoriginal ideas to make an original. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, well, okay, this is a tangent, but I have to yeah. then ask, and I mean, I have yeah. this down to like ask you later. Are there? I mean, you said it's a combination of two unoriginal ideas to make an original idea. Mm-hmm. Is that not every? I mean, sure. is are there any original ideas that aren't a combination of unoriginal of, things? Of original things? No, no, nothing's. Nothing is new under the sun. Right. (laughs) All is vanity. (laughs) Okay, so high school, you said the the violence, the repulsiveness reminded you of your experience in high school? So what it did is it keyed directly into – there's a couple things about it that keyed directly into this is a way for me to kind of explore – for me, not the reality of, but the psychological landscape of my experience in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the reality of my high school experience was – a, relatively boring, and B, very nerdy, you yeah. know. But the interior experience of it, you know, I was, I was, you know, this will shock you to hear, was not a ladies' man. <laughs> <laughs> I felt very insecure in that, in that realm in my life mm-hmm. um, and felt a lot of just conflicted sort of like, you know, the angry young man feeling type stuff. And that there was something about – Something about the the detectives in the hammock that again uh, had this thing of like they're what I in one way sort of wanted to be in another way was kind of repulsed by, you know, right. on, on a moral level. And that combined with the other thing that's in the hammock that, that went straight – spiked straight into my memories of high school was this feeling of a impenetrable nest of a world that is – stratified socially mm-hmm. and I don't know if this is still the, the, I don't know this this feels weirdly describing it like I think about the you know 20 the 21 Jump Street remake where it's like <laughs> it smashes all the all all of the cliches about teen movies from when we were there you know what I mean so yeah. I don't know if this still applies to schools it probably doesn't but there was when I was there this kind of notion of this these stratified social cliques. Now yeah. it has to do with how many followers you have. I on guess, Instagram. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which we could argue is better or worse, but <laughs> um, but yeah. So I uh, the the wish fulfillment of somebody who could come in and smash through those cliques and demystify them, right, and handle them, which is the opposite of what I think most of us feel like we could do when we were you know um, in high school. You're mostly scared and kind of huddling with your crew and kind of, you know, yeah. looking with projection and, and and resentment at these other groups and they're all doing the same thing back to you and their thing. You know, it's uh so for me at least that was that was my kind of unhealthy high school experience. And a lot of the things that are explore that in the hammock, like again, spike directly into that. So it was you were able to take this genre, this detective story, film noir genre, which mm-hmm. doesn't have any direct correlation to your personal experience. You were never a PI in post 
World War II America. <laughs> um, but there were some specific things that reminded you of something that you deeply felt in your personal experience. Right. And you were able to express those feelings you had absolutely through this genre yeah i would i would liken it to in that way it's like music you know it's like somebody mm-hmm. who is drawn towards you know country music and loves it and it first starts by imitating it and then starts yeah. singing their own lyrics along to country style songs that right. that to me is maybe a good sort of analog of it i guess yeah 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 it reminds me of the Beatles started just by covering yeah. traditional uh, American rock and roll right? and did that over and over and over again. And their first hits were sort of yeah. in the style of Little Richard, Chuck Berry, et cetera. But you get to the White Album and it's it's right. sort of that, you know, literally on drugs. Like it's, <laughs> right, yeah. it's literally every track is like, oh, there's, you know, uh, there's a country western tune. Oh, here's a ballad. Oh, here's mm-hmm. a here's a hard rock tune. Oh, here's a, you know what I mean? They were right. kind of hopping around and still doing their thing through a certain degree of, of magpieing from other stuff they loved. But then you also get Beatles songs that are, that just don't seem a part of any of those traditional genres. But mm. they had to go through right. the sort of forming of their voice right. in order to get to, I don't know, uh, you never give me your number or right. Uh, right, right, right. these right. kinds of things. They're like, well, that's not, yeah. like Little Richard would never do anything like that. Sure, right. But they had to like play a bunch of Little Richard songs in order to get there. And the question of whether the goal is to get to a place where you can do something where no one can identify your sources, I don't know if that's the goal though. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's some higher level of artistic achievement. Um, maybe it is. You can make that argument, I guess. That's not something that I consciously feel like I strive for You know, in thinking of what's next. I still get great pleasure from drawing direct inspiration from stuff that I love. And it's not so much about like seeing something and wanting to directly imitate it. It's having an experience of something, feeling the particular way that thing moves me, Mm -hmm. and then wanting to do something myself that creates that feeling. Yeah. You know. I wonder if it's worth, we heard it for Brick, would you do it for looper like Mm. was there any kind of similar path where like okay i'm going to take this sci-fi genre but it speaks to this particular part of my own personal experience and yeah i mean for it it was it was not quite as direct but um in a a slightly different way philip k dick was the the thing that i got into that led to looper yeah Um, again it's not you can't line it up as exactly as with brick where you say oh yeah it's a it's a Hammett novel, but it's in high school. Right. With this, you know, Dick is is much different, and um, in you know, much more kind of um, kind of freewheeling and trippy than than Looper ended up being, I think. But I went through a phase where I was reading all of his books and getting really into Philip K. Dick, mm-hmm. and I during it was during that phase that I was thinking a lot about uh, thinking a lot about. Um, God, I have to put, I have to remember what I was thinking a lot about that time. <laughs> this is a while ago now. Uh, I was thinking a lot about getting older and about, you know, those feelings you have of like seeing people get older and get angry and get, you know, mm. and and feeling kind of the, I don't know, um, 
feeling those those kind of like I don't know I feel like there you you have to constantly in your life sort of be on the active defense against building up the walls around yourself and pulling in tighter in terms of what's mine and what I need to protect that's mine and you know getting the shotgun out basically yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean I feel like that instinctive sort of you know, um, as you get older, you get more not even politically conservative, but literally, you start just like building up your castle walls, basically. Uh-huh. And um, and you were feeling that personally. Well, I, I mean, I could feel the beginnings of that. Yeah, you know what I mean. You just feel. And I think we all because we all have those instincts. You know? I I I identify a hundred percent. And so it. Um, so for me, it was just the question of okay. Um, you know, putting the the notion of kind of like the father and the son essentially and looking mm-hmm. at each other and kind of this dialogue. And so uh, that was the thing that I keyed into with um, that. And again, I don't have as clean an answer as I do for Brick in terms of what it was about the time, except just that the time travel allowed you to have literally the older self and the younger self, yeah. which is just this kind of cooler embodiment of the father and the son, you know, right. um, a more direct thing. So so there's that, but I mean, but Philip Dick, you know, he he would use these kind of sci-fi conceits to 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 explore stuff like that. But that's that's also that the majority of great sci-fi writers do that, so, you know. Right. There's something there's a an idea that you're thinking about or yeah. a feeling that you're having. Right. And you can use this structure. An issue you're dealing with in your head, yeah. Yeah. And for me, the the most powerful stuff always comes from self examination and self criticism. Like it, it. Or I don't know if criticism is the right word, but I feel like um, for me, I I am always wary if the thing because you have to be kind of angry about something to write a script. I think, and, <laughs> and if the thing you're angry about is not something that you identify in yourself, I'm always wary of that. You know, if the thing you're angry about is something outside of you that you're that you're judging uh, in others, you I, you always got to take a breath. And, that's fascinating. And think about like what you know. Um, so all of the you know bad aspects of the quote unquote villains or whatever you want to call them, um, they 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 all have to be something that I am self criticizing and that I'm kind of like identifying within myself and. Um, wanting to explore or, you know, kind of work through, I guess, you know. I just want to land on that for a second because that's a really fascinating thought to me. I've never heard you say Hmm. that exactly, but pardon me, I'm just going to reiterate it. What I think you said was you have to be, like, angry about something. Yeah. In order to be creative, in order to write a story, there's got to be level, that yeah, drive. So. But if you're, if the anger is just outside of yourself, right. and you're just judging someone else, and you're not willing to uh, acknowledge whatever that is in your own self, then it's then that becomes yeah. Uh, well, yeah, spiteful I, or something. Yeah, it's a shaky of. foundation to build something. And ultimately, I mean, I think that everything that you're angry about in other people is just projection from <laughs> stuff inside of you. I just yeah. find I feel that I think that's a fundamental human truth. And so I feel like the first step is recognizing what it is inside of you that makes you upset at quote unquote them, you know. Yeah. And for me, that's always the most fruitful place to start building 
a story from, you know, and start yeah. building conflict from. It's not identifying with the good guy, but identifying with, you know, the bad guy. Yeah. And then so through the lens of this question about originality, it, it sort of feels like what, what I hear you saying is that anger, whatever it is that you're angry about, that mm-hmm. personally lights that fire in, in your yeah. core, that's the sort of original part. That you can then use, quote-unquote, unoriginal or genre or whatever you want to call it, pre-established boxes right. to try to communicate that feeling that you're having to others. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, I would also, I would go, you know, this is kind of like a separate thing, but um, for me, anytime I, I approach a, a genre, um, to me, it's also... Part of, you know, if you're playing a chess game against somebody, the goal ultimately is to win the chess game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that to me means satisfying the audience, having them feel a sense of true emotional satisfaction and fulfillment at the end of it. The way that you win a chess game is by doing things they don't see – they don't necessarily see coming or sometimes mm-hmm. things that they do. And so they feel a certain amount of comfort in this and then use egg. So it's not just like you take this emotional thing that is original and put it into this standard box. To me, playing with the box is also part of the originality of it. It's a little more mechanical. It's a little more engineering, I suppose. But, right. but that that is also a large amount of, of – you know, individuality and kind of, you know, creativity as well. And then in, is the way that you re-engineer, if you will, that box, yeah. is that informed by whatever specific yes, ideally that's, anger or feeling Well, that's what you aim for, right? Anyone mm-hmm. who's a writer knows, I mean, the ultimate thing that you're going for, which is the thing that's so hard, is to have the form express perfectly by its very shape the... Uh, the interior yeah. purpose of the thing. Content know? is what the word that used to be. Now we well, say content to mean something. Yeah, content to mean something <laughs> yeah, terrible. Form and yeah, content. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But having yeah. the form, the form inform the content. Well, it's having the uh, having the form illustrate the content in a very direct way. Right. Um, that's that's the golden thing that you're reaching for with each thing is to have there be no distance at all between the way that the plot works and the theme that it's trying to express and to have that shape of the plot actually if you kind of like you know write it all down and abstract it to have that be kind of a a map of your themes basically i guess i mean but that's you know yeah that's what you stare at pieces of paper for (laughs) right (laughs) for months to try and do and just drive yourself nuts can i ask you about star wars yeah so this same shape we're talking about that we're refining as we go with Brick, you know, the way you talked about it uh, with Brick was having a sort of feeling that you came from, that came from your personal experience with high school yeah. and able to express that through this detective genre. Right. In Looper, you talked about uh, this feeling of anger, as you put it, sort of as we get older, our... our uh, urge to bring out the shotgun to be right. protective of ourselves and what we have right. um, and expressing that feeling that you were observing in others as well as yourself mm-hmm. through this father-son, older, younger version of a same right. character uh, and then therefore using the time travel genre to right. talk about that feeling. Right. What was it 
for The Last Jedi? Well, it was a little more complicated because part of the personal feelings I had were personal feelings about the characters I grew up with in these movies. But there was also personal stuff in there for me that like – the thing is I think as opposed to the other films I did that are um, – I mean I feel a, a great deal of just personal – you know, um, fulfillment having made The Last Jedi. There's a lot of what I care about in there, about Star Wars and about, you know, a lot of stuff. But it, you know, it, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to articulate this exactly, but as opposed to Looper or Brothers Bloom or Brick, where I feel comfortable kind of dumping my guts out on the table and saying this is what it's about, Star Wars doesn't but like it doesn't belong to me in that way that makes total sense of and course so yeah. i i don't well you didn't that. originate a, yeah. that world in those well, characters and also and it's just because of what it is culturally it's got such a big reach even just on a god i don't want people reading that oh he was talking about the the the, the, the with this and that i get it and have that in their heads when they watch the movie because star wars is something that's for that's that's you know for them and it's something that they should have their own experience the, the hope is you have that fuel of the personal stuff that's driving you when you write all the stuff and you put all that in there yeah and then the audience can take that emotion from it in this abstracted kind of space opera world and then read their own stuff into it yeah. that makes perfect yeah. sense because yeah if you specified the um the particulars of what it meant to you yeah it might hinder there's so many people that it means whatever it means to them and you don't want to get in the way of that meaning it for makes them. it yeah. makes it smaller in a way yeah yeah and that so, makes total sense yeah and and you know having grown up with you know the original movies knowing that what i personally read into them was you know what was important to me and i want everyone to be able to have that experience with it i think that's what that's what it should be right yeah. so then i mean then through the lens of this question yeah. uh star wars almost poses um a different challenge than Brick Brothers Bloom or Looper mm. uh, as far as how do you balance originality right. with um, adhering to the tradition that's pre-established when you're right. when you're making a you know episode 8 right. of a 9 episode series well it's funny i mean i i don't know i didn't see those as diametrically opposed yeah i didn't see those as like two things that had to be balanced to me the original films you know um and the prequels are spectacularly original at every turn and delights you in <laughs> where mm -hmm. it goes and i remember yeah like one of the first times i sat down with larry kasdan you know before i started writing he's like our only job is to delight you know uh -huh. and, <laughs> and i feel like you know there's a lot that you draw from star wars that's or i have that's you know you want to get um real impact in a lot of different levels and on a fundamental in a fundamental way i think that all plays into what larry said you know what i mean it's right. um anyway for me the um i don't know i i I, uh, I think the instant you start thinking in terms of how do you not step outside of the bounds of what the original movies did mm -hmm you're not thinking the way the people who made the original movies did. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They were, with every movie, they were pushing it forward. With every movie, they were stepping outside those bounds and trying new things and pushing the characters into new, emotionally honest, but surprising places. You right. Know? Um, that's why those movies are great. That's yeah. why they're alive. Yeah. And if they had been looking at, you know, something that came before it and saying, oh, we better not do this because that is outside of this or that, you know, they, it, it would have been different, I think. So. Yeah. 
this question about originality also made me, in terms of you, think about language. Because mm. one of the things that stands out to me most about you as an artist and as a, a writer and a filmmaker is your extraordinary use of language. I remember the very first time before I even met you reading the Brick screenplay and thinking to myself, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, you just don't see people being that adventurous with their choice of words <laughs> in screenplay or really almost anyway. You just don't <laughs> see that very often. Um, and again, if you haven't seen Brick, it's it's written in this very stylized language that's different than how uh, people really talk, um, but is incredibly evocative and was <laughs> extremely challenging <laughs> as well as very rewarding to learn and, and perform as an actor. Uh, um, I remember when we were rehearsing because our first instinct was – if you remember this whole thing of, okay, we're going to take a naturalist sort of uh, the way to deal with this stuff because it worked on the page. And the question is, how do you actually make it work when you're speaking it? Right. And our first thing was, okay, let's, let's take a naturalist approach to it and kind of throw it away and kind of, and we really quickly figure out that didn't work. Yeah. And remember, I, I, do re remember. I remember it went against sort of everybody's instincts, but what we had to do is drill it and kind of over what would, in a lot of situations today feel like over-preparing, I, I think. Oh, we yeah. Just, yeah. Well, normally you just don't rehearse very much for movies. Yeah. And yeah. even when you, if you rehearse, if you rehearse at all, it's more than average right. for movies. Right. It's different in theater. I'm not as much of a theater person, but in theater, they, they're more into right. rehearsal right. Um, because they have to get it right for an entire right. play yeah. in one go. Yeah. Um, but in movies, generally, you don't rehearse that much because you kind of want to capture the lightning in the bottle. And also because everyone's schedules don't uh, permit also that, for it to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But back then, we were kids. We had we nothing, didn't have any we had nothing schedules. No. Yeah, come on over. Yeah, yeah, we rehearsed a lot. Yeah, yeah. And it was necessary to get that language uh, to sound natural. You had yeah. to just say it over and over and over and over again. It's like you have to uh, drill the piano piece over and over yeah. so that your fingers know it, and then you can start getting expressive with it. Yeah, yeah. it was like that. But so... In terms of this question of originality, one thing I wonder about with language is, you know, words themselves are all pre-established. They're almost, you could almost think of them as their own genre. Each word is something yeah. that was here before I was here. I'm now using the word here and I'm using right. the word before. And right. these are all words that mean things and I didn't come up with those words right. um, but I need to use those words in order to communicate what right. I'm trying to say yeah it's another good example of that yeah so but <laughs> but in Brick you used words <laughs> to mean things that no one knew that they meant that what they, you were trying to have them mean made a lot of shit up yeah <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, I mean, and you know, the kind of the stock answer that I gave a lot in interviews at the time was um, that uh, at that time there were a lot of high school movies that were coming out. Yeah, We didn't have the budget, nor did I stylistically want to do something crazy in terms of the visuals of it, in terms of the design of the world. Yeah. So, What was the budget of Brick? 
I just find it, every time Rom, my producer, says it these days, it goes down. <laughs> like, <laughs> I thought we may I have a number in my I head. thought we made it for like five hundred, but then he was like, "Nah, it's four hundred. And I'm like, "Okay." And I that's said, "Funny because I have the number three hundred. That's in my a thing." Head. <laughs> I said it in front of somebody, he's like, "Eh, it was three fifty. I'm like, "No, it's three. It keeps going down every time." So uh, it was not much, and yeah. and we shot on thirty five also because yeah. the, there was at a time where HD was not like you weren't quite a real movie at that time. Thirty five millimeter. Film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So the the uh, the idea was that the language was a way to cue the audience immediately that they were in kind of an alternate reality that this was not supposed to be a way of. It's basically a, a very cheap way of stylistically elevating the entire thing so that you know you're in kind of like a fantasy world basically you know um, oh, yeah. but I don't you know that it also is just fun there's something about the fun in Hammett you know this was something I keyed into with the Hammett and it's, it's what led me to the Hammett did Hammett make Cohen's up words like that it. too I don't know if he made them up or if he you know he, he drew a lot from kind of the um, criminal you know slang of the time right, right. Um, and uh, you know the Coens obviously are like in fact, I was going to look point to a filmmaker who uses language, you know, in the most expressive, creative way, original way. He was most aware of their use of language. I, I point to the Coens today. Yeah. I, mean, I feel like, yeah. Um, like what movie? All of them. Every yeah. single one. I mean, <laughs> oh, I just. I love their movies. Every, and I keep going, like the more recent ones, even. Like I went back and just started rewatching Hail Caesar over and over recently. Yeah. And just every single line, it's like, oh my God, you could just dig into. Or uh, True Grit, their adaptation of True Grit. I mean, it's, that's an adaptation, so they're drawing a lot from the book. But and there was a, a, a movie of True Grit before theirs. It was John there? Wayne movie, yeah. Right, yeah, I never yeah. saw it. I, I didn't either. <laughs> but uh, I love the Coen's adaptation. And the book is fantastic of True Grit. It's great. And they capture the feel of the language in the book, but they're they're also you know doing their own thing with it. So there is just the element of fun and playing with words and playing with language. But the, the words that are in Brick, like I definitely remember that some of them were from other sources. Like we, yeah. we said bulls to mean the police. Right. And that's not something that's commonly said nowadays. But was said back then in That's those Hammett books. That's directly from the Hammett or Gat for gun or Ber- right. Berg for the town. Right. Yeah. But then there was also stuff that was drawn from surfer slang in San Clemente when I was growing up. Bra, you know, and like right. the, the – the, uh, oh, God. Now, I, of course, now I'm having a, a brain fart because now I'm 45. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were young when we made that movie. But I can't remember. But there were – yeah, we – I drew from a lot of different stuff and – um I drew from I took from Steely Dan songs I took from I just everything that I loved I just kind of like smashed different phraseology in there. Were there any that you were like this isn't coming from anything but I just think it'd be cool to have this word mean that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember them now. I know I can't. <laughs> we're old. I remember you said somewhere there's a line. I actually think if I remember correctly, yeah. there was a line that wasn't in the script and on the day you wrote it and oh, i don't yeah. know if you had it in your pocket uh and it what just was, was it do you remember yeah remember. yeah th- i don't know why this uh stands out to me uh where i say i got knives in my eyes i'm going home yeah and it was meaning i'm tired yeah yeah uh and I got if headache. i remember correctly okay i, I yeah, have a headache yeah. i i gotta sleep yeah if i remember correctly 
that wasn't in the script. And there was the some, day? Oh, oh. That's what I remember. We were yeah. shooting it, and there was something that like it needed. Uh, I guess yeah. the scene needed more of an ending for me to hang up the phone, yeah. and it wasn't written in there. Yeah. And you said that to me. I was like. Did he just fucking come <laughs> up with that? Or did you... Was well, there... You know when you have a headache and it feels like someone's sticking a cocktail <laughs> fork through your eye yes. into your brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> Go young me. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. But then you get... It's also because you were in the pattern of that language and the pattern of just like playing with that stuff. It puts you in a certain state of mind and it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. Okay, another question about originality. When you're watching a movie, just as an audience member, mm-hmm. as a fan, as someone who's looking to enjoy a movie, how much does the originality of that movie matter to you and, and how much you'll enjoy it? Oh, I'm trying to think how to like pick apart that question because... I feel like if I walk out of a movie feeling like I didn't dig that because it wasn't original, it wasn't, it was just copying other movies, what that really means is the movie didn't have an impact on me. It didn't work right. on, its, on its own terms. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much that I object to it taking from other movies. It's that it did so in a way that did not impact me, that did not satisfy me right. at, at the end. right. And I think with that in – you take that essential winning the chess game move out, mm-hmm. uh, the thing that you're left staring at is just stuff you recognize from other films. So it's a very easy criticism to make. Got it. But I don't think there's ever been an example – I can't point to any movie where I um, where I loved it or had like a thrilling experience at the end. And I walked out and saying, God, that was great. But it was just a bunch of different stuff. Different <laughs> yeah, I've you seen know, that before. Right. Well, if you liked it, you liked before. it. If you yeah. loved it, it does. Then it's brilliant that they took stuff from other stuff and they made it work. You know what I right. mean? So, um, what about the inverse of that? Have you ever, have you ever seen a movie and been like, I've never seen anything like that before. I'm not even sure if I liked it, but oh, yeah. it's really original. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And would you say that that adds to your enjoyment or not necessarily? It does. I mean, I don't know. Again, if it's all about the emotional impact. For me, it's all about how you feel when you, you know, at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. when you add it up, you know, um, whether it whether it hits you in the gut. And if it does, then, and it's done something that I've never seen before. I don't know. Like those are kind of like sorry to bother you. Is a great mm-hmm. example. I still have to see that. Oh my god! Yes, you do. I know. I'm so behind on movies. Oh I'm my a dad. God. I just haven't seen any yeah, movies. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, Sorry to bother. Is a great example of something where I mean, I can draw parallels to like for me, I draw a parallel to Brazil or you know to like mm-hmm. you know Kusturitsa's movies. You know, movies that kind of go whole hog. But but sorry to bother you. Did not feel exactly like any of those other movies. It's just mm-hmm. me like saying, oh, my experience of it was similar to these. But coming out of it the fact that a it totally worked for me as a movie and completely well, just totally satisfied me by the end and the fact that it was unlike anything i had ever seen before that combination is something really powerful right and something i really respect when a movie pulls that off yeah. you know um yeah there's there's nothing quite like the impact of that i mean um 
I guess under the skin in a weird way also. It's a very different type of movie. Uh, but uh-huh. even though it has sci-fi elements, it's got Another elements Another one meaning to watch. Oh I don't have the same excuses. We're just going to hang out the rest of the afternoon. We're just going to watch movies. movies. Know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe not under the skin in front of the kids. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah it, it, even though it's got familiar elements, the way the movie was actually you know played out on the screen was something that I had to – adjust to. It was something that I didn't know how to parse while I was watching it the first time. Mm -hmm. But it had such an emotional impact on me, I ended up going back to it over and over and kind of learning how to watch this movie, you know? Right. Um, And that's extraordinary when a movie can do that. Yeah. It's something that I think is probably beyond my skill set. And that's maybe why I admire it so much is because why I love it so much. It's like, wow, I have no idea. That's like a magic trick to me. I don't know how that's done. And you don't feel driven to try to do that? Um, I don't know. I don't feel like – no, weirdly. I don't know why. Even though, even though the way I just expressed it, it sounds like that should be the ultimate creative artistic goal. Mm-hmm. For me, the most satisfying thing in terms of the actual act of creation – doesn't lie there. And I, I also, I feel like I would probably get myself into a finger trap if I started thinking in terms of, how do I think of something that's never been done? Yes. Like, I don't think that's a good road to anywhere. Or I know right. it, it's not for me. Yeah. That just le- leads to a, a big spiral of, of um, beating yourself up and yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. not really getting to anything that matters. And I don't think that's how those movies were developed. I don't think that was the starting point. You know, Pro- so, yeah, probably not. I think right. that's a thing. I think ult- and this is this is the ultimate thing. I think it. Uh, this is the ultimate thing. The Boy, ultimate thing. I'm looking that forward up to it. For, geez, I'm, this is never going to pay off. Uh, ultimately, I feel like everyone who makes anything makes what they make. That was a really dumb ultimate thing, wasn't it? <laughs> but what I mean by that is I think the reason that, you know, under the skin is the way it is, is not because Jonathan Glazer sat down and said, I'm going to do something no one's seen before. What he did was he had a book that he took inspiration from. He had something he cared about, something he wanted to express, and in his voice he expressed that. Same thing with Boots Riley with Sorry to Bother You. Yeah. What you're seeing is his natural voice of how the story came out that he cared about that he wanted to tell. And I think that's the only thing any of us can do. I feel like it um, – in other words, it's not like they reached for a bigger artistic ambition than I'm reaching for and got it. It's that we're both kind of doing the same thing, which is creating stuff that – in the way that we can create stuff. And maybe this sounds like limiting and bad, but I do feel like there's there's a way that – people make the stuff that they make you know that old thing of after every filmmaker makes a movie they break it apart and make the next movie out of those pieces you know what i mean uh-huh. he's making the same thing you know? i feel like there's something encouraging about that because once you don't have to worry about how can i do something that's never been done before right and if you go off what you're saying that everyone is going to make what they're going to make exactly then you can also take comfort in knowing that everyone is unique because every single person is a unique individual person with their unique life. And- 100%. And I feel like, you know, the kind of the 
one of the extreme examples of that, you look at Wes Anderson's movies, who he is one of my favorite filmmakers working today. I think he's a genius and all of his movies just devastate me. And I remember when he was making his films, after like two or three films, there was a point where in the press, all these stories started getting written of, oh, is he going to make another Wes Anderson-y movie again? You know what I mean? Like they recognized <laughs> his style, like his voice, mm-hmm. and talked about it as if there was something he had to break out of. Uh-huh. And because he's, in a, he's a real artist, he didn't, you know, he didn't pay attention to any of that stuff. He kept doing his thing and making his movies. His movies got richer and more beautiful. And I feel like he's at the top of his game now and just making these masterpieces that are just emotionally devastating works of incredible art. And they're still in his voice. It's they're not like very he's, Wes Anderson-y. Yeah, it's not like he's doing, yeah, but I yeah, mean, the stuff you make is very Joseph yes, Brown-Levity. Yeah. And like, you know, all of us, we, I think embracing that as part of your power as opposed to something that is a limiting factor is is something that's really important um, to make good stuff, I think. So I, I wonder if, like, so the, the person who asked this question, Alexandra is her name, I wonder if she's, you know, Alexandra... Kalmanovsky, is she saying like, yeah, but no one wants to see a movie that's Alexandra Kalmanovsky? Yeah, they do. Why not? What are you talking about? Yeah, Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll see, yeah, I don't know. You you gotta, or maybe they don't. You gotta make it and then they'll, you know what I mean? It's not, that's a thing. And I feel like the notion of, that's the other thing we have to draw a really clear distinction from with this is I feel like the insidious notion of a brand has taken so much hold of our consciousness at this point because what she's talking about right there is my brand isn't established and so why would anyone want to see my thing and that's not what we're talking I'm not talking about that you establish your your thing your brand and so it has you know uh, and so it has a following on social media (laughs) and so it's now a franchise yeah no, I, I mean, and, and, and I think you have to, first of all, it's a process of you discovering what your thing is that you put out there. And also, once you put it out there, I'll bet there's people who are going to love it, you know, if mm-hmm. it's great. And it's so, yeah, I, I think you have to make a really clear distinction that what I'm talking about is not developing a style that is then your stamp or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think if you're thinking about it in those terms, I'm not, we put all these words into poor Alexandra's mouth right now. I'm sure she's yeah. not thinking about <laughs> no, these terms. probably not. <laughs> but but uh, she's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, but um, I, f- I feel like thinking about it in those terms is is equally a trap, you know. Well, because it sounds to me like what you're saying is what you're drawn to, both from the creator side as well as from the fan audience member side, mm-hmm. is is not the particular brand or style or genre or box. It's someone honestly expressing themselves. That's what all boils down to is just chill out. Don't, don't. <laughs> yeah. If you're thinking about whether you're being original or not, you're yeah. thinking about the wrong thing. Chill out and tell the truth. Tell the truth. That's, that's what it is, man. Tell something that you care about and tell it in a way that excites you. Yeah. And if you're doing that, it'll be original in a way. <laughs> in a way. <laughs> and unoriginal in yeah, other ways. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I think we answered that question. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I, I, I have an idea to wrap up these episodes. Um, since it's all based on a question from someone out there on the internet to ask one more question that's weird. Ready to answer the weird question. Oh my God, you're terrified. <laughs> we it's, got... it's, it's not that weird. No, it's not that weird. It, it, yeah. I, I liked it. Yeah. Um, okay, this comes from Stephen Ricketts from Rochester, New York. Uh-huh. His question is, is cereal soup? Why or why not? Hmm. 
this is the hardest question we've answered all morning. <laughs> Originality, easy. <laughs> is cereal soup? This kind of like the is a hot dog a sandwich question. Oh, that's a good N- uh, n- Yes. <laughs> why or why not? Because it's soup. Okay, so cereal. And if you, the thing is, you have to define your terms. You have to define <laughs> cereal as the bowl that has the milk and the cereal in it. If you're talking right. about a box of cereal, no, that is not soup. I agree. Uh, soup, as I understand the definition of it, mm-hmm. is it's the broth, but it's also the stuff inside the broth. And it's the combination of the way that uh, all the stuff. Sim, you know, together in the broth makes the stuff taste and makes the broth taste. Right. So the cere- the milk in cereal is now cereal milk. It's mm-hmm. infused. You know, it's the Christina Tosi like cereal milk <laughs> stuff that we love. It's infused with that stuff, and also the cereal itself has taken on a different thing. <laughs> from, by the way, I had a friend of mine, uh, Alex Bendler, this DP who had a he called it the Captain Crunch effect. Have I ever told you about this? No. It's basically it's this brilliant thing where what does Captain Crunch advertise? Stays crunchy in milk. Yes. Crunch is in the title of the cereal. Yes. Stays crunchy in milk. Stays crunchy in milk. What happens the instant you even get a glass of milk near <laughs> Captain Crunch? It turns into soggy mush. Gets soggy. So basically they just – they advertise the exact opposite yes. of what they do yes. brazenly and it works. Yes. And that's why anytime you see a commercial where there's geese flying across a clear lake, you know it's going to be an Exxon commercial. Yeah. It's, it's the Captain Crunch effect. Anyway. But yes, so that is why I believe cereal is soup. What's, what's your – Take on it. I would I would agree with that, and I, I would build off of your distinction between the box of cereal versus the bowl of cereal. Yes, because what's dear to me and the term that sits in my mind in a precious way is a bowl of cereal. Yes, so I would say a bowl of cereal is the best soup on earth. Well, there we part ways. Cereal cereal is very dear to me. Is it a bowl All of cereal? Right. Well, listen. Yeah. We can part ways. We'll come back together. <laughs> okay. The road splits and diverges and come returns. And yeah. Dude, thank you so much for doing this. This was so much fun. Man. Oh, thank man. You. I loved it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go hang out with the kids. Okay. All right. <laughs> thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks to my guest, Ryan Johnson. Thank you to the uh, question askers for this week, Alexander Kalmanovsky and Stephen Ricketts. Get your questions in. You can email creativeprocessing at hitrecord.org, or you can just ask anywhere on the internet. Use the hashtag creativeprocessing, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc. If you come to Hit Record, we're making art, collaborative art, uh, that's inspired by some of the things we talked about in this conversation. If you like to draw, if you like to write, if you like to do various creative things on Hit Record with other people that are inspired by these concepts of originality, genre, etc., Check out hitrecord.org slash creative processing. Um, thank you to the producers of this show, Lexi Tankersley, Raymond Way, audio produced by Kier Schmidt. Uh, thanks to Cadence 13 and everyone at the Hit Record office. That's it. Thank you. And thanks again. See you next week.